wing bones, and road trips. This week on the Bryantland Show, my guest is Lafayette Trial. Me and Laugh sit down and we talk about traveling for hunts and how using a turkey wing bone call has changed the game for him and his success as a turkey hunter. Two-time Grand Slammer Lafayette Trial on the Bryantland Show. Go on and hit my music. Stone Mountain, Georgia. This is the Bryant Land Show, hosted by Proud Gamecock and South Carolinian AB3. Lafayette, welcome to the Bryant Land Show. Things have changed a little bit as far as names and logos and all that kind of stuff since the last time you've been here, but the host is still the same. You are stuck with me, but thank you for taking the time to come back, man. How's it going? Everything's going pretty good, man. Congratulations on the new logo, the new song, all the new things you got going on, man. man doing it big out here, man, man. I appreciate it. I was just trying to freshen it up a little bit, you know, keep it fresh, keep people interested. So I, I appreciate that, man. But I bought you on because you have done some things since we last talked last year, man. You are a two-time Turkey Hunter Grand Slam uh, accomplisher, if you will, man. And then you already been successful this year at home in South Carolina. Let's start with the Grand Slams, man, because completing, you know, it's hard enough to complete one Grand Slam. And for folks that may not uh, may not know, Grand Slam is, you know, when you kill all the subspecies of turkeys, you know, Easterns, uh, the Osceolas, which are only found in Florida, the Rios, uh, which is uh, in Texas, some are in Kansas, and then Miriams, which are in Nebraska, like Wyoming, places like that. So if you kill those four subspecies, you are considered, um, it's accomplishing a grand slam. So you've done that twice. How's that feel, man? Like, that's a hell of an accomplishment. It feels like I won the Super Bowl or something, man. I'm a (laughs) two-time NBA champion right now. (laughs) Did they send you, like, don't they, they send you, like, a a certificate? Like, what what all they send you when you accomplish that? Yeah, in order to get that certificate and all of that stuff, you have to be a member of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Yep. And then when you get each one of your birds – you have to uh, fill out like a form that tells what state you were in, uh, how much the bird weighed, how long the spurs were, the beard, all that good stuff, uh, what county you were hunting in, your hunting license. You have to have all of this information. And when you send it in, I guess they confirm that you really killed that particular bird, and then they will send you your certificates and uh, little trinkets and everything mm-hmm. for each bird. And once you get all four, then they send you the Grand Slam paperwork. Wow. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, man. I, I just can't believe this has happened. And like <laughs> I said, you accomplished it twice. 
Now, are these single season grand slams or are these over a course of a year or so? Like how how these how have these worked? Oh man, it was not single season simply for the fact that I uh couldn't get enough time off from work. If I had more time off from work, then I probably could have accomplished it in a single season. But um when I went to Kansas, I got a double on Rio's. And then when I went to Nebraska the following year, I got a double on Miriam's. And the first Miriam I killed, that like sealed my first Grand Slam. So once I went back to Florida this particular year and got me another Osceola, that cemented that now I have two Grand Slams because I got two of each one of those subspecies. Wow. But, but it took me... Ooh, it took me three three years to get the two Grand Slams, three years. But doubling them up definitely helps. I mean. It, yep, it did. It did. Because, you know, you, you could go out and, you know, you go on a turkey hunt or whatever. And, and if you get one, obviously you're ecstatic. If you get two, I don't know what the word is to begin to describe that. I mean, whatever is next <laughs> after ecstatic. <laughs> I probably would stay ecstatic again or twice. <laughs> <laughs> ecstatic times two. <laughs> man. Oh, man. And then you did these with um all with shotguns, right? No uh no archery equipment, all shotgun, right? All shotgun. Twelve gauge Mossberg. And I was using the long beard XR shells uh on all all the birds actually. Every I think every bird I've killed so far has been with that twelve gauge Mossberg. Wow, the eight thirty five, right? Yes, yeah. Yes. The, which the eight thirty five is the pump. I have an eight thirty five. Uh, I need to get it repaired because I blew the barrel up uh, on my eight thirty five. So I, <laughs> stupid is 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 the only way. It, stupid. I had it. I love that shotgun. I took that shotgun everywhere I went when I was in the outdoors. Um, like so, anytime I was doing working stuff on my property, I always had that shotgun until before I bought like a pistol or whatever. I always had my Mossberg. Um, I duck hunted with that when I first started duck hunting. That was my first gun I started duck hunting with. You know that that was my gun, and I had it on my ATV, and I was it was. After it rained, so it was kind of muddy, kind of nasty, and the, one of the brackets broke, and it fell in the mud. And, you know, I went, I sh- shook it, you know, shook it or whatever. Didn't think that the barrel got clogged, and I went to fire it, and I guess the barrel was clogged, and boom, it blowed up. And I'm very fortunate— Man. Um, because that could have went all kinds of sideways in the woods by myself, um, an hour and a half, hour, 40 minutes away from my house. So, you know, just like all the things that could go wrong. And the only thing that I had was just like a fragment, like scratch on my forearm. So I'm very fortunate. It, it could have been a lot worse, but um, getting another barrel from Mossberg, to get that shotgun repaired because, like I said, that was the first shotgun I bought. And so I, I love that thing. But I since then, I have a 935, which is the semi-auto, and that's what I killed my bird with last year was with the 935. 
And it's funny because, you know, talking about these Mossbergs, you know, the 835, which is a pump. Like I said, 935 is the uh, the semi-auto. You were the one that kind of put me on to just like, look, because I, I think when I, when, after we first talked, I was like, okay, you know what? It's getting late in the season. Uh, I've had a couple of misses. Like I had went to Kansas. Um, tried to do it with archery. The wind was just horrible. Weather was horrible. And the and, birds didn't come in. Oh, I my God. That. Yeah, the birds didn't come. Like it, it, it was terrible. And then I had another hunt that I went on and had my um, – I also have a Benelli uh, Supernova uh, – excuse me, Super Vinci, and just couldn't connect with that. So I was like, you know what? I got my Mossberg – my Mossberg has always been good to me. So, like, let me use that. And I called you. I think we were texting back and forth. And I was like, well, what do you use? He was like, 835. I was like, oh, words? Like, yeah. I was like, what kind of choke? He was like, I don't know. The full choke that come with it. I was like, bet. I said, what kind Keep of Keep it sh-? simple. Yeah. Like, what? And then I said, well, like, what kind of shells? Did you told me about the XRs. And so I went with the XR5s. And then last year, man, you know, screwing around with turkey chokes and stuff on that Benelli and trying to find a turkey choke, that pattern and all this other stuff. And you was like, I don't know. I just used the choke that it came with it. I was like, you know what? Keep it simple, stupid. And yep. <laughs> Keep it simple, stupid. And the only, thing, the only thing I did to my gun was I did add a scope on it. And that was because... In my lifetime of chasing these turkeys, I missed two, and it was like the most painful thing in my life. Oh, man. it's terrible! It, oh it, my it's God. terrible. The one that I missed with my Benelli, and I know they say you know it, it's not the equipment, it's the shooter, and all this. Other, and I know, and Benelli makes awesome shotguns. I mean, don't get me wrong, but there's still a strong part of me that was like, if I had my mouse with my you know, full choke and knowing what I know after talking to you, I was like, man, that could have been two birds in the cooker last season instead of the one. But, exactly. you know, it, that's the whole thing. You live and learn. I haven't put a scope on my shotgun because I use my the same shotgun that I goose hunt and duck hunt with is the same gun that I, you know, uh, turkey hunt with when I'm not turkey hunting with my bow. So, I haven't made any modifications to it, but you like the scope, though. I love it, man. It's got like a turkey reticle on it. It has not failed me yet, man. I might have to knock on wood, but every <laughs> single turkey I've shot at so far since I put this scope on, I've killed everyone. Now, do you have to still, like, do you have to sight it in, or is it kind of like a, a plug and play? Like, how does that how does that work? Well, um, just because I know most shots I'm going to take at a turkey, I'm going to try to get them as close as possible. I I have like a little turkey head kind of target thing. Mm-hmm. And I went out behind the house and I sighted the scoping uh, at 25 yards. I okay. sighted them at 25 yards because I know I'm going to try to get that turkey within 25. Right. And maybe, maybe stretch it out to 40. But, you know, if this zeroed in right at 25, it's going to spread out even more by the time it gets to 40. Right, because it's so, not like a rifle. You, it's a shotgun, so you got the spread and the pattern. So by the time, like you said, by the time it gets that far out, that pattern's opened up a lot more than what it was at 25. Yep. 
So once it's zeroed in at 25, and uh, man, I can't think. It's a scope made by Weaver. I have to look it up, but I know it's made by Weaver, and it has a, a turkey reticle on it. And I always put like the, the the crosshairs right on the waddles of the turkey, like right where the feathers meet the neck part. Yep. And and uh, it's been deadly, man. Deadly. And and it's funny because that was one of the things too that somebody uh, told me because you know I always tell people you know I come from you know shooting a bow like and everything you know deer hogs whatever it's always with a bow so when I started shooting you know shotgun for turkeys and stuff they were like you know make sure you know most people they put the bead or whatever they put it on the turkey's head and that's what they mess up because when the kick you automatically jump up just a touch yep. depending on you know, what kind of shells you shooting, whether you're shooting two and three quarters, threes, or three and a half uh, size shells, that, you know, that recoil caused you to jerk up, and that's how a lot of guys miss. But if you put it down, like you say, on that waddle, and then you hit it just right and you let that recoil go up, it's going to pop up and it's going to be right there on his head, and that's going to be all she wrote. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That gets it done. <laughs> but now, if you put it right on their head, you're going to shoot over them. And I've done that when I was, oh, man. Because when I first started chasing after him, I probably was like, oh, I might have been 13 or 14. But um, just going out in the woods, man, playing with a box call, I called in a huge time. And I had a 410, man, a 410 shotgun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think. I can't remember who it was made by. It was a little 410 single shot. Called this time in. I put it right on his head, shot right over him. Oof. I was sick. I was only like fourteen, man. 13 or 14. <laughs> and he took off. Run- he took off running after that. Oh yeah, it was over. He was out of there. He yeah. might have flew away. It was over. <laughs> yep. Got to learn the hard way, man. Now, when you talking about the um, the scope, and you say the re- the reticle, when you say the reticle, you referring to the the actual crosshairs or? Yeah, like instead of how on a regular scope, how it's just got the, you know, the line that comes up and down and it's like a crosshair. Yeah. The crosshair on this scope, it has like a big oval shape around it. So like it'll almost perfectly fit the turkey's head and neck inside of it. Ah. It's like an oval shape, but the crosshairs do still go through it. Mm -hmm. But around it is a big kind of circular looking oval shape. To like take up the turkey's whole head if you were to get them that close. Gotcha, gotcha. I love it, man. Man, and now on the the hunts that you've done, like yourself, are you a box call, slate call, combination? Like what? What's your go to? I'm glad you asked this, man, because. I suck at turkey calling. (laughs) It's just something I had to come to realize. I suck at it. But one thing I've learned, when it gets to be a little bit later in the season and those birds don't have a lot of hens or they're lonely, almost anything will work at that point. (laughs) I'm telling you, man, almost anything. But um, I typically would use like a old school, just a little push-pull box call. Yep. I tried the diaphragm with the mouth thing. I just couldn't get the hang of it, man. I like the slate and glass calls as well. But what I typically use is a box call. But 
as of last season, I, I went on a, a hunt in uh, Allendale, South Carolina. It was like a little guided hunt that I went on. Mm-hmm. And the guy that I was with, I guess he saw how much I love turkey hunting or whatever. So once the hunt was over, he kept using this weird kind of call that I, I've never seen a call like it before. So, you know, I started asking. I was like, man, what kind of call is this, man? Like, you know, what's going on with this call? It's a wing bone call. Yeah. I've seen, yeah, now that, that is super old school, but I, I've seen a few pictures of them. Matter of fact, I saw a couple when I was at the, uh, NWTF, the, uh, National Wildlife Turkey Federation convention up in Nashville. Uh, we went not this past year, but the year before. And I saw that, that I've never seen one used. I've just seen them, but I've never seen one used. Man, when we was on that hunt, this dude knew how to work that call. It sounded better than any call I've ever heard, man. So um, after, you know, the hunt was over and all of that, he kind of like took me in his office and we were talking and he was like, man, I see how much you love this or whatever, love the turkeys. He said, I'm going to give you this wing bone call. And it was like another one that he had made up or whatever. And uh, he was just saying how it was going to be a good tool to add to my arsenal. And that was last season, at the end of uh, my whole turkey season for 2019. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to 2020, I took that call with me um, when I'm hunting by myself at home. It's been a game changer, man. Game changer. Like, I, I just kept practicing with it. I like it way better than all the other calls I was using before. So now the main thing I do, I have that wing bone call, and uh, I have just a little box call like off to the side, just in case they get super close. And I want to just call super light yeah. to try to go on and bring them in a few more yards or whatever. But that wing bone call, man, oh, it's been a game changer. Like I, I went to a public land in South Carolina. This was maybe a week ago. Uh-huh. And I got to uh, hitting on that wing bone a little bit. And I called in four birds to me, straight to me. So my heart's pounding, heart's pounding. I hear them coming. I see them. I'm seeing them. They're getting closer and closer. Man, all four of them were Jake's. <laughs> so <laughs> all four of them. Did you? I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but did you like? Did you put those birds to sleep the night before? Like, did you scout them and knew where they were roosting and everything, or you just kind of went in and just set up and and just hit a couple of calls and see what happened? Now, see, last season I was I was uh, hunting the same piece of public land. And last season, I went there so much, I started to realize where those birds were going to sleep. Okay. Like, I, I figured where they were roosting. So once I realized where they were roosting, I went on there several times, but I could never call them to me. Like, I would hear hear gobbles all the time. Almost every time I went down there, I heard hella gobbles, but I could never get one to come to me. So this year, when I went there, I didn't go scout anything. I just remember where those birds were last year. Mm. Gotcha. So I went to that same spot. I mean, I'm walking in. This might have been like, it might have been 6 30, 7 a.m. I'm walking in. I hear them gobbling in the same spot. I'm literally walking in. I haven't done a call or anything. So I went, I, I was walking a path and I see the tracks going up the path. So I keep looking and I'm hearing them gobble. And I'm like, all right, I see the tracks all in this path. So they obviously want to use this path. So I set up in the woods, like right off of that path and just waited for a while and started using the wing bone. They came straight to me, walked straight up the path. But like I say, when they got there, all four of them, 
The beards were like two inches long. <laughs> little little baby, baby Jakes. <laughs> <laughs> little babies. <laughs> but I mean, hey, so how do you use the wing bone? Like, is that is that like a, a mouth thing? Like, do you blow? Like, what, what's what's the deal with that? And I had to play around with it to figure it out. But it's kind of weird. It you use it with your mouth, but instead of blowing into it, you kind of suck air in. It, it's really weird. You have to play with one to get it right, but you have to suck air into it. It's, it's hard to explain. But once you do it and uh-huh. start playing around with it, it sounds so real. I just my thing is, I wonder who came up with this. Like, who thought to take a turkey's wing, the bones from it, and then you make it into a call? Well, I think it goes. It, it dates back. Don't get me the line, but I, it, it's definitely like Native American. yeah, Native American. Like it, it, you know, pre, you know, before diaphragms and slates and all that stuff. Like that was how it's done. Like I said, I've seen pictures of them. I've seen a couple. When I was at the uh, NWTF convention, but I've just I've never used one. I've never seen anybody use one. But now you gotta kind of you make me wonder if that's something that I can get, or if is that something you gotta kind of be gifted. I'm not sure, man. I, I think I believe I've seen them for sale online. I have to look. They might be on like eBay and stuff like that. But um. One thing I do know is they like the sound of their car, man. I don't know what it is, but it, it sounds realistic. And it, it's not, if you just practice with it a little bit, it's not hard to use. And I think that's why I like it so much. Because, wow. you know, I tried the diaphragm thing, just couldn't get the hang of it. Yeah. But once I start playing around with that wing bone, and you got to you gotta just, like, suck air into it a little bit. And once you play with it, you can get those yelps and cuts and everything but man, I, I just started playing with it a little bit. They love it. I um, I'm looking right now, and I see all kind of like how to make a wing bone call, uh, wing ball turkey, wing bone turkey call five steps. Yep, historians, arche- archaeologists say wing bone turkey calls date back perhaps 6,500 years. Native Americans made yelper calls from three bones. Wow. That's amazing, man. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think to do this. Like, I was talking to one guy about it, and he said he wondered, did, like, you know, somebody kill a turkey, and while they were eating on the wings, bones, or eating on the wings, did they, like, just suck some air into it and then hear the... Right. <laughs> and see, that's the thing. Like, I want to know, like, how does it... How it sounds, like, wing bone... Turkey calls my wing bone custom made. Wow, yeah. So you okay? So you definitely could get them. Obviously, yeah. You, I'm gonna have to look into this because you you've piqued my interest because I've been pretty much a diaphragm um, caller, and I mean I got it. I'm okay. Um, I'm not winning any contest or any you know anything like that. I found that my diaphragm calling is good enough for Rios and Miriams, um, which is, I mean, you take it for what it is because, you know, as we know, Rios and Miriams are the most uh, vocal of the species. That's why I love hunting those two. 
um, because you can hit that call every 15 minutes, and if they're close, they're going to gobble. Like the Miriam that I killed, I mean, literally, I was still calling him, and they were like 20 yards away, and I was still calling them, and every time I finished my cadence, they gobble. I mean, it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. And so that's why I like hunting those. But Osceola's and Eastern's, Eastern's. not as oh. vocal. And the guy, you know, that's why I was asking because the guy was telling me, you know, basically, you know, you're going to have to, you know, uh, have some uh, variety to your calling. Like you need to learn how to use a slate call to go with, you know, your diaphragm call and stuff like that. So... I don't know. I'm working on the slate call. This wing, you really piqued my curiosity with this wing bone call, though. I love it, man. Like, uh, outside of just the calling, too, something that I've kind of start started to learn is just like, uh, I guess you could call it woodsmanship. Yep. That will kind of kill them, too, man. Because, I mean, like I said, I am not the world's best caller. But a wing bone has just added, I guess, another little tool to my, my arsenal. But, um... For example, I killed a bird Saturday with that wing bone call. And I'm trying to think, I may have called to that bird twice. I mean, that was it. Like, he, soon as I pulled up, this was on some private land that um, my family owns. Okay. And I have not heard a bird down there. I, well, no, I heard one gobble, one single gobble before the season started. But ever since the season started, nothing. So I just happened to go down there Saturday, which was, I believe, April 4th. And as soon as I get out of the car, I hear a bird gobbling. So, you know, I'm pretty sure he was hot. He was lighting it up, kept gobbling, kept gobbling. And that was in so, the morning? That was uh, dawn before sunrise? or? Oh, man. I went down there yesterday. Not yesterday. The Friday before that, I went down there in the evening trying mm-hmm. to put one to bed. Didn't hear anything. Okay. So Saturday morning when I got up, I was like, man, I'm not even going to go down there. I ain't hear anything, man. I'm going to just stay at the house. So I woke up and I kept thinking about it. I said, let me just go out there. I didn't get to the woods till like seven. So it was already daylight. Yeah. And he was already on the ground. But yeah. I guess he was just hot and fired up. So I keep hearing him. I said, all right, I'm going to just start going towards where he's gobbling. I might have got maybe 150 yards from 200, something like that. I couldn't see him, but I could hear him. Mm-hmm. So I set up on the path, and I just waited, tried to see what he was doing. I hit the wing bone call, I know maybe once, and then just waited. And then he would gobble, and then, you know, I would wait, and I would wait because I didn't want to call too much. But another tool to add to the uh, arsenal is the the scratching of the leaves. Yeah, because that really works on them, man. It really works. So I I called, and then I think I scratched the leaves a little bit, and then I just kept waiting, and then he started getting closer and closer. So I, then I would just scratch the leaves a little bit more, just so he would know where I was at. And it works, man. I think I only called to him maybe twice. Wow. At one time, I guess to let him know I was there. Right. And then when he started getting closer, I just kept scratching the leaves to make him think, oh, it's a hen over there for real. She's like in the leaves scratching. And then I waited, 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 called just one more time so he would know where I was at. And then after that, I shut up. Because a lot of times that that time, if he's lonely or by himself, he'll come looking for the hen. And you just give him just a little something so he'll know where to come. That bird came straight to me, man. Straight man. to me. And you don't but use decoys. 
Nah, nah, at least, all right, like when I've gone on those guided hunts, mm-hmm. every single one of those hunts, the, they use decoys. But, you know, they kind of already have their own thing figured out or it's like a big wide open spot yeah. where it's a lot of birds and maybe they're used to the decoys. I'm not sure. But the birds that I hunt here in uh, South Carolina, the Easterns, those birds are tough, man. And um, when you're hunting them in the woods, for some reason, I don't know what it is. It seems like every time when they come across the decoy in the woods, it spooks them. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's because they don't see it from a long ways away. Uh, but yeah. Yep. And then it's like when they see it, they ride up on it and they're like, oh, shit. And then yep. it like <laughs> yeah, freaks them out. That's not a real hen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, this is the setup. Let me turn around. <laughs> wow. But yeah, man, I just wanted to add this to that, man. That bird that I was just talking about that yeah. I called in with basically the leaves scratching. He came, all right, I set up on another path. So I'm looking at the path. And then the bird, I guess since this was an older bird, instead of using the path, he circled around into the woods. So while I'm facing to the left looking, he comes up to the right of me. Oh, wow. Literally. I guess he he thought smart about it. He said, instead of walking up this wide open path, I'm going to take the thick stuff. That bird was maybe five yards away from me, if that. He came (laughs) that close. But then the thing was, he by the time, you know, I'm trying to film it. So he comes up to the right. I see his head. He's closer than five yards, man. I'm trying to turn the camera and then I guess he saw the movement, and he started trying to get out of there, start putting or whatever. Mm-hmm. So in in my mind, the hunt is over. I cut the camera off. I'm like, man, he figured me out. I can't believe this, man. So I keep hearing him put, but I can't see him because he's like in thick stuff. So eventually I stood up, and like I keep hearing him put, but I am never, never saw him. So I'm just standing up, looking, looking. All of a sudden, he walks into an opening. And he sees me now because I'm standing. Right. So he's getting out of there. Man, oh, it might have been 40, 45 yards. I put that scope on him and shot. Bird went down. So you had had him at five. Had him at five, shot him at like 45. Because he figured me out and I couldn't spin around quick enough. Well, because that was going to be my question. Like, did you, was you able to get your gun up? Like, how? Bruh, I had the gun up everything, but I was facing the path. And by the time he got in the woods and I realized he was coming up to the right of me, uh-huh. I'm trying to turn the camera and reposition. He was already there. Like, because wow. once he gobbled again, man, my heart almost, whew, almost fell out my ass, man. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was right there when he gobbled. And I looked to the right. I see his head. He's right here right next to me but i guess me just calling those two times and scratching the leaves he knew exactly where i was right that's that's amazing to me man and that's where he was coming right like you said right to that spot right to it man man i couldn't get the camera around quick enough to like catch him and everything but he saw me trying to move the camera Mm -hmm. like i don't think he knew what it was because he didn't just like fly away right but he, he just saw around. he saw some movement. It was just kind of like, mm, I don't know about this. Yep. And that was a nice bird, man. I sent you a picture. I haven't even posted it on Instagram and all of that yet, but I sent you a picture. Yeah, I saw nice it. Bird, I was man. like, man, what what was the spur length on that thing? Oh, uh, I didn't even measure them, man. I had to go out there and look. I'm I'm pretty sure they're an inch. 
I believe they're inch. They might be a tad bit over an inch. It was a pretty good bird. Did you measure the um measure the beard yet? It was ten inches. I believe. Yeah, it was ten inches. Wow. I measured that and didn't measure the spurs. Wow. Yeah. And and like I say, I killed that one on some of my family's land. And I mean, you know, going on the guy that hunts and everything, all of that is amazing. But man, when I kill a bird at home, yeah, by myself, do it yourself. On like our own land. Yeah. It's yeah. a different feeling, man. No, it it is a different feeling of accomplishment. Like you say, to do it on land that's yours that you've been working and working, scouting, you know, trying to learn how the animals use your land and to be able to beat one at it, you know, it, it is a chess match. And to be able to beat it at its own game, I mean, that, that's one hell of a feeling. Yeah, and, and the other thing that was crazy to me was the fact that he <laughs> he circled around into the woods and then saw the movement. So I kind of felt like he won. You know, at that moment, I was like, damn, he, he got away. Right. He was like, he beat me to it. And see that... I'm still chasing that uh, at my place. Um, like I said, I've killed the Eastern in Wisconsin. I've killed uh, Miriam uh, in Nebraska. I, I still talk about that Miriam to this day because I, I basically I rung him up. I called him up, and I stuck him. I put an arrow right through him. First time uh, on my turkey hunt, first day I was out there. Um, so I'm very proud of that, but I can't wait you know, till I can actually get one. And I've seen some hens, you know, I, I know where the hens kind of hang out at, but hadn't seen uh, live. I've seen a couple on camera crossing over, but as far as, like, being able to get right up on one, hadn't been able to do it yet, but we still we got still got some time until, uh, until May, as long as they don't shut, you know, everything down with this uh, oh, COVID man. BS, but... Uh, but you know, still trying. But yeah, that 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 sense of accomplishment, man, is nothing like it. Yeah, man. But, and in that, bro, I just I didn't think it was gonna happen. Even when I made that shot, like it was kind of crossing my mind. I was like, man, he's kind of far. But I put that scope <laughs> on him, and I said, man, I'm about to try it. And like, soon as I pulled the trigger, once the gun came back down, I saw the bird down flopping. I feel like I stood there for a minute. I was just like, I can't believe this worked. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, it probably was a lucky shot because that bird was far from me, man. I but was it he was 45. But was he still, though? Like, was he, like, with his no. head up and, like, still his moving? Head, his head was up, but he was getting out of there because at that point, <laughs> he finally, like, officially saw me because I was standing up at that point. Right. Because I was like, man, he's, this is over. And he just so happened to step into an opening where I could see him. And I threaded the needle, man. I couldn't believe it. It, it was amazing. Birds, that was, I don't know, man. That might have been one of my favorite turkey hunts that I've ever done. I mean, was, to get them that close, especially to get them that close, like you said, with the with the wing bone. I mean, you Wing on? bone and scratching. Man. So, let's transition because one of the things that we do have in common, like we like to get out, travel to hunt, um, go on what I kind of call these quote unquote destination hunts. Now I know you've done antelope, you've done your turkey. What else am I missing? The, the biggest one, elk. Elk. That's right. Yep. 
Yep, you did an elk hunt. Now, now the elk hunt. Did you do? Where'd you do the elk hunt? Uh, that was in New Mexico, like okay. northern New Mexico. It, matter of fact, it was with the same guys that I did the antelope hunt with, and the antelope hunt went so well that I decided to go back with them for the the elk hunt. Right. Yep. Nice. Nice. Now, what? You know, I think we talked about it the last time you were here, but. What made you, like, you just kind of had, like, an epiphany one day, and you was just like, you know what? I'm not just going to limit myself to deer, hogs, and turkey in South Carolina. Like, I'm going to get out and see the country. Like, what what was that that moment that made you just like, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. Man, I think the real epiphany was the whole thing with my dad, because my dad that's ended right. up getting cancer, man. Yep. That's and, right. and when all of that happened, me and him had several conversations and I would tell him, I was like, man, you know, I, I, I saw these, the, well, the, those hunts, I just saw a lot of videos online of guys hunting pronghorn and guys hunting elk. And I was like, man, I would like to try something like that because back home, you know, I'm kind of living it. The deer and turkeys basically and uh, some hogs here and there. Right. But, uh, I don't know. I was just kind of interested in it. And uh, I was just having a conversation with my dad, and he basically said, if it's something you want to try, man, he was like, go ahead and do it now while you're young, because you, you just never know what could happen, man. And he was saying, you know, at his age, there was a lot of things he wished he would have done at 30 that he didn't, and now he can't because of the whole cancer situation. So right, right. That was the main thing got me out there. Now, when you go to look at like a outfitter or whatever. I know for me, you know, I kind of just talk to people word of mouth or whatnot. Um, they got a website that's pretty good. That's kind of like archived a lot of outfitters, uh, the good ones, but how do you go about, you know, picking your outfitter and deciding like, okay, Hey, this is a guy that I'm going to go with. Now the way I kind of started doing that was, um, I wanted to pick something that I figured would be like reputable or like have, uh, I can't think of the right word, but I looked in Cabela's and I was like, all right, if it's a company that's like affiliated with a company as big as Cabela's, they're probably going to be legit. Right. And Cabela's had a, a, a company called Worldwide Trophy Adventures. So I sent an email to the Worldwide Trophy Adventures uh, little page or whatever and basically told them I was interested in trying to obtain like a Grand Slam or I wanted to hunt turkeys in different states. And somebody from that company reached out to me. And the the guy in particular that I was talking to, he only like told me about outfitters that he had hunted with himself and had like great experiences with. So I kind of have like a guy that works at the Worldwide Trophy uh, worldwide trophy adventures place who already knows about a lot of those outfitters and where is a good place to go or you should go here or you shouldn't go there mm-hmm. you know to kind of kind of steer you in the in the in the direction and stuff yep because matter of fact when i called him about my elk hunt i kept telling him i said man i want to go hunt elk in colorado and uh, I appreciate his honesty. It was a place I found in Colorado, actually, that was through the same website. And he was just like, eh, you don't want to go with them. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what, what do you mean? He said, trust me, you, you don't want to go with them. And that was it. I said, all right. 
He said, if you want to hunt elk, man, you probably need to go to Mexico. And this is probably who you need to go with. And then we got a whole conversation rolling from there. But that's how I particularly book most of my hunts is I have, uh, well, I reached out to Worldwide Trophy Adventures and then they kind of hooked me up with a guy and he's been helping to steer me towards the right outfitters. But um, another thing I think you could do is if you found one that you're kind of interested in, just look them up. Right. Look at their reviews. See see what they have on the page or see if you can find somebody else that has gone there and talk to them about their experience and so on and so on. Yeah. Do do your your due diligence. I mean, it's just like anything else when you go, you know, you, to buy something or make a major purchase um or you know just like if you're going just like our people flock to go to the beach or you know go overseas or whatever you know like whatever company or destination or whatever that you you're doing just you know vet them talk to them do your homework yeah do your homework i like to you know talk to guys and stuff you know email back and forth is cool but you know get them on the phone for 10 15 minutes just kind of talk through and see what kind of you know operation they're running and stuff like that are you do you always stay like in campus and stuff or do you kind of handle your own your, just your own, yeah, like you you handle like your your own sleeping arrangements and stuff. Like, how which do you prefer? Now, with me, most of the stuff that I look at, but most of the hunts I've gone on, I think every single one, they usually have that already worked out, and you got to read the fine print, but it's there. It'll tell you what the deal is. <laughs> with almost every outfitter, once you start reading, they'll let you know if there's like food and lodging. Some places provide it, some don't. I mean, granted, most of these hunts are expensive, so you've paid for that. Technically, you've right. paid for the food and lodging, but some provide it, some don't. But that, that's just another thing that I've, I've witnessed just going to these different places. You just don't really know until you get there, or either you got to read that paperwork good. But some of the places will have, like, super nice lodging, like a whole camp, like, first-class kind of stuff. Some places will just throw you in a hotel, which is cool, too. And and they will provide food. Some don't provide food. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to know, man. Right. I mean, most of them have it in there if you read it. But you just don't really know what you're going to get until you get there sometimes. But uh, most of the places, like I've gone to Kansas and New Mexico, I think, multiple times in they have really nice lodges. Well, those particular outfitters had super nice lodges with food and everything already taken care of. But um, I've gone other places and they just had a hotel for me, but they already had it ready. And then when I get there, I don't have to pay any. Well, I guess I already paid for it, but the room and everything is already there for me. Right. You just go and, to the hotel, check in, and yep. then maybe come back for like, you know, like a dinner or whatever. And. And then head out. I I've done it both ways. Like I've done trips to Arkansas, where, <clears throat> excuse me, where I've done, you know, I've stayed in the lodge, ate great, slept great, hunted great, enjoyed it. Um, I've gone where I've stayed in a hotel and ate Wendy's, like or <laughs> or like actually, there's a little place in Stuttgart. I can't remember the name of it, but it was just like a little like greasy spoon mom and pop uh, joint, and I ate breakfast there like every day. It was just like the uh, older black lady 
and like uh, her husband and I think maybe like a kid or a grandkid, family friend, and they ran like this little greasy spoon and it was phenomenal. Like I literally, I ate breakfast there every day. Um, so I've done it. You know, both ways. Um, when I was in, both ways work for me. Yeah, both like it, it, as long as I know what I'm getting into, then it really don't matter. Like you know, I've done the when we when I went to um, Nebraska. Uh, I mean, it was great. I had to place them myself after the first day, which that is also like I love it when I go to camp and I'm the only person there. I know that goes <laughs> against every I know that goes against everything what all of this whole hunting thing is supposed to be about, camaraderie, yada yada yada, bonfire, <laughs> beer, drinking, all that good stuff. At the end of the day, if I go to a place and I got the whole and I got the the place to myself, I am happy. I'm relaxed. I'm happy. Like I'm having a great time. I obviously I can go either way, but that's like my that that's when we're 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 winning right there when we get into camp and we're the only ones there or I'm the only one there, man. It's the best. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been on hunts. You know, with where other guys in camp, I've been on. Um, obviously, the uh, duck and the goose hunts are you know four or five man blinds depending on how big the blind is and what the outfitter's doing and we have a great time doing that but like my turkey hunt and and, uh and things of that nature man you get into camp and you're the only guy deer hunting up in uh wisconsin was the same way as the only guy i don't know it's just it's great you are you said you're the same way does it matter or yeah i'm low maintenance man so i'm usually cool with whatever It, it all works for me man but I think every place I've gone, everything has been peachy. But it, the only place where I kind of had an issue was uh, I went to a place in Florida, and man, the lodging was terrible, and they didn't provide food. <laughs> like I was literally like sleeping in a box, man, like a, a jail cell, a wooden jail cell. It was terrible, man. And you, like I ain't gonna say any names or any of that. But man, like no, they didn't provide food. And I was sleeping in like a jail cell. But that you, was crazy. You didn't like you didn't know inkling of that before you went down there that okay, maybe this might be, you know, a little suspect or whatever. They said I think it said they had lodging but no food. So I knew the no food part. Okay. But I just didn't expect the lodging was gonna be like a <laughs> a wooden box. <laughs> uh, that part was crazy to me. But on the flip side of that. The hunting down there was amazing, which yeah. was crazy. So, I mean, I guess that part was good, but the, the lodging was, I couldn't believe it, man. It was literally like a wooden box jail cell. Wow. Crazy. And, and but, some places, they, you know, they they will at least tell you that, like, you know, we got $2 steaks and stale beer or whatever the case is, or you can bring your own beer, but they swear that they're, you know, they put everything into their hunting and the hunting is great. And in some places, you know, it's, you know, four or five star loud, uh, lodging, but then the hunting might be, yeah. So, yeah, so uh, par. Yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't know, but until you go, I mean, as with anything, as far as like hunting's concerned, you don't know until you go. Yep. But one thing that I can say about all of those uh, like guided trips or like trips that I traveled to go hunt on, 
and it might that might just be like the grace of God and me just having to get lucky every time. But every trip I've gone on, I've killed what I went there for. Everyone. And see, Everyone. That, and see that 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 is a testament because I, I can tell you as a person who has gone on a few of these, it, it don't always shake out. So that's like it is very I wouldn't it's very fortunate, you know, you can call it luck. I also think that you're super skilled because some of the shots that you've told me that you've made on, like, antelope and elk, it, it, you ain't no rookie. So it, it's, it's, you know, it, it's some some skill level and some aptitude um, that goes along with that, man. So I, I wouldn't sell my – don't sell yourself short. Yeah, it's practice, man. Practice. I practiced more for that elk hunt than I did for probably any other hunt, just because I knew, as expensive as it was, I was like, man, if I go out here and mess this up, I'm going to be so mad. Right. So <laughs> I practiced a lot. I was, I think I had zeroed my rifle in at like, oh, was it like two? No, it might have been like 250 yards, <sighs> I think, just because I knew it was going to be like, completely different from how it is back home like matter of fact the elk that that i killed on that hunt when we saw him he was like a mile away man because you know new mexico is wide open right and i think they i don't know if somebody ranged him he was at like he might have been like at 900 or 800 something yards away from us that is crazy it was ridiculous but we um the guys start calling him with a cow call as we were working closer and closer to him and that was almost, it kind of puts you in the mind of turkey hunting. But like, instead of a 20, 25 pound turkey, it's like a 800 pound elk. And, but, it's, and instead of it being five yards away, close is 100 yards away, whatever it was, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Because when we first saw him, I think he was literally like eight something, 800 something yards away from us. But we started working towards him and the guys start calling him. And uh, before you know it, he's at 400 yards. Before you know it, it's like a, a like a hill, mm-hmm. and he crests the hill, and he's coming towards us. He's looking for us, and the guy is still calling us. So I got the rifle out at this point. Then he's like at 250, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is what I practice for. <laughs> and I got the <laughs> scope on him. My guy said, don't shoot. He's going to come closer. Just let him come. Man, that elk came to like 150. I was like, oh, I got him. I got him because I the whole time I had been practicing at 250, right? And he literally came to like 162, something like that. And it took two shots from the 300 win mag. I put both shots like right through the lungs. He dropped on the spot. Wow, it was it was crazy, man. Just seeing something that huge up close, right? It was amazing, man. And granted, the hunt it was expensive. I can't even lie, it was super expensive. Like I paid like half of it a whole year in advance and then the other half 60 days before the hunt. But that's just something that was on my bucket list. Something I've always wanted to do at least once in my lifetime. And it was amazing, man. And it goes, was a hell of a trip to go somewhere like, you know, New Mexico. What I'm finding is like a lot of the places, the destination places are cool, you know, like deer, you know, everybody wants to go to Kansas. So everybody wants to go to Iowa you know, turkeys, Alabama's big on the Easterns, you know, Texas for Rios and stuff. Um, Osceola's, Florida's the only place you can go. But 
if you can find a place like off the beaten path, like this case in point, this year I went, I did make it to Arkansas, didn't do that great for duck hunting. Um, I didn't get a chance to duck hunt here in Georgia or in Wisconsin, which is normally what I do. I did goose hunt a little bit in Wisconsin, but the point is I, I duck hunted in Oklahoma. Like I had to work in Oklahoma and I had made it, made plans to duck hunt in Oklahoma. And we did great. Like we did hmm. great that day. And Oklahoma. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's just like, shh. <laughs> like, cause people <laughs> hadn't figured it out yet. Cause you know, everybody flocks to, you know, the Missouri's or they, you know, try to get to Arkansas, Louisiana, you know, places like that. But yeah, like literally this little like pond and we just we raked. I mean now, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that you brought that up because I was gonna ask you about this off air and I ain't trying to like put you on the spot, but I guess I ask you right now, man. Hey man, my bucket list. I know this is like this is not something crazy, but it's something that's super obtainable. I wanna kill a mallard, man. Oh <laughs> I yeah. just wanna kill you, a mallard. Oh man. yeah. And you and can. I wanted to ask you would you feel like going to Arkansas somewhere to hunt ducks? Because I've never done that. I've never gone anywhere to hunt ducks outside of a little one-acre pond that we have at home, and it's only got woodies on it. <laughs> right, and that's because that's what we got here in Georgia is a lot of woodies. But, yeah, like, yeah, it, that, like you said, it's not crazy. It's not overly hard. It can be done. Yeah, that that's not hard at all as far yeah, as, I'm like, not- getting – you know, getting uh, set up or finding some way to go or whatever. Yeah, we we definitely talk about that. Yeah, um, man, I, I want to put that out there because uh, I'm not, you know, I've, I'm not as big on the duck hunting because I don't really have a place to go duck hunt. So Right, and that's what I kind of, it's funny because, like, the first couple of years, now that I look back at it, I didn't realize I was doing it, but I was kind of feeling my way around. Like, I went on a duck hunt, went on a goose hunt, Deer hunt, hog hunt, turkey hunt, or whatever. And I think deer hunting is becoming the passion because I can do it on my own. I got a place to do it at. Um, I got a place to make mistakes and kind of try to figure it out and, you know, on my own. And then after that, it's kind of like turkey hunting is, you know, cool. But I think bow hunting deer is really becoming the passion. And then goose hunting, I love goose hunting just because the guy that I've been going with up in Illinois um, is top-notch, and we have a good time when we go. But to say that I'm going to do it on my own, and I just don't I don't have the time or the investment that it takes to be a really good – I don't have the time to investment to be a decent duck or goose hunter on my own, much less a really good one. So yeah, we can definitely we'll 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 sidebar on that. <laughs> yeah. and, and my thing is, I just don't because you know with the with the bigger stuff, antelope, elk, turkeys, stuff like that, or even deer per se. If you, I feel like it's okay to go by yourself. On one of those guided hunts. But, like, I don't know. For some reason, I feel like a duck hunt, it seems like you need somebody to go with you to oh, yeah. have more fun. Yeah. It, so, it's definitely a, a 
a um that's a little bit more of a community deal. Like I said, I I've sat in blinds in Illinois underground uh freezing and you know, we we've had a great time. The duck same thing with duck hunts. You know, I've been in marshes and just, you know, chopping it up, talking, had a really great time. So it is, it's a little bit more communal. I can't call ducks. I can't call geese. I've tried to call ducks. I'm not good at it. Um, so, yeah, it it's definitely fun. It's something that you shouldn't be discouraged from just because you don't know how to do it. You know, I know a lot of people, they, you know, poo-poo guided hunts and, you know, talk shit about guys that go on guided hunts and all this other stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, man, if you got a chance to enjoy it, and you're having fun, and you're in the outdoors, man. It's it's all good to me. Mm. And, and one other thing I want to ask you: Have you ever hunted pheasants? You know, I haven't. I've thought about it. I've thought about dove and pheasant. I've had pheasant. Matter of fact, turkey hunt I went on last year. I had had fried pheasant. That was one of the uh, the meals. Um, no, down here in Georgia. Oh, okay. And it was good. Like, yeah, it, 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 it was good. Like, it was fried, like deep fried. Oh my god, man! It, it was, it was definitely, it was, it was great. But, um, outside of like geese and ducks, like the wing shooting, like doves, pheasant stuff, it don't interest me as much. Like I've said that I wanted to do it, like just to try it, just to say that I've done it. But, man, once, you know, August rolls around and then into September, man, I'm, you know, outside with my bow every chance I get, you know, and all I'm thinking about is deer at that point. So, (laughs) but I'm not opposed to it. Like, I I would try it. um, But I just. That's something that I, I don't know. This is two things that's on my bucket list that I'm still, I want somebody to go with me. So I'm going to have to figure that part out. But I want to get a mallet. And I want a pheasant, man. Because I went on a turkey hunt in Kansas, and it was the same deal like you just said. At camp, they gave us some fried pheasant. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Right. I was like, like, man, can we go hunt pheasants (laughs) instead of turkeys real quick? I just wanted to try. (laughs) And it was funny because in that, that hunt in Kansas, like they were mallards, like, flying by all day crazy i was just like wow like y'all like well we, we know where the mallets are now whether they would be here come november is a whole different story like i i hear you know 10 11 12 turkeys every morning when i go deer hunting now i can't get one to, to say anything so you know how that goes so yeah that's how it always is but i i can say long as this longer the season goes the easier to be to call them in He'll still be there. Have you seen those hens and you hearing one every now and then, one or two? I think you told me you heard two out there. Yeah. I, well, I've had two on camera, and then I've heard one or two, like, faintly, like, real faintly. So it sounded like they were far, far away. But I heard them. I was just like, okay. But that's what I'm kind of banking on, too, is just kind of trying to pick my spots. And, like, once we get into late April – Cause we shut down season ends, I think May 15th, 17th, somewhere like that in the middle of May. 
So one probably like hopeful. I'm hoping another week or two, late April, they'll start to kind of you know just like all right, we can you know start being on the prowl a little bit more. Yep, because I know several of the birds that I've called in over the years, and I mean these are birds that I did not kill because of whatever happened, or mm-hmm. the decoy spooked them or whatever. Almost all of those birds I called in, they were like towards the end of the season. And I think before this year, the earliest that I killed a bird in South Carolina was April 10th. And oh, wow. that that was, I think that was 2018. But this year, I just happened to run across that bird that was fired up and it wing bone. Yeah. That's the earliest I've killed a bird in South Carolina. And that was April 4th. So I don't, I don't know if that's a testament to the wing bone or, or what, but that made my earliest killing a bird date move up yeah. to April 4th. But but I do know the longer it goes and more hens are bred, they'll get easier to, to, to call on in. Well, yeah. um, hopefully I'll still be able to get out there and to get after them. Laugh, before I get you out of here, man, always I appreciate it. Enjoy talking to you. Let folks know where they can check you out at, man. And when you going to post that video from the turkey hunt? The one where the turkey skirted me and almost got away. Yeah, because <laughs> you did I'll get probably, one. Of, you did get one of them on video, right? Um, the two birds in Florida. I got those hunts on video, but I, you know, I didn't get the shot. But I got those two hunts and my bird here in South Carolina. I got all of those on video. Okay. So I have all of those posted. But that one particular bird we were talking about in South Carolina, it should be posted in two weeks it's going to go up on a monday okay because i usually try to post my videos on youtube on monday and uh you can find me on instagram or youtube at blood sweat and gears 87 that's blood sweat a n d gears 87 and that's on youtube and instagram awesome awesome man i appreciate you um i know we'll be in touch texting uh back and forth and whatnot man good luck the rest of the season, and thanks for coming on. Thank you, man. Good luck to you too, man. You're gonna get one of those birds. Positive vibes only, man. You're gonna you're gonna get them. Bro, I appreciate it because I need I need all the positive vibes I can get. <laughs> yeah, me too, man. <laughs> Bryantland. Man, I appreciate Lafayette stopping by the Bryantland show. Hopefully, you guys enjoy that conversation. Um, as much as I did, I love talking to Lafayette, man. Anytime I talk to him, I learn things. This time, this wing bone call, man, and just how it's been a game changer for him is something that I've seen around. But now after getting a firsthand account from him, I am definitely going to have to do more of a deep dive and check it out. Before I get ready to get up out of here, man, I just want to remind y'all of a couple of things. Patreon.com forward slash Bryant Land. That is our Patreon page, man. You can support the show and unlock a whole bunch of extras, things that we don't put on the normal podcast feed. Patreon.com forward slash Bryant Land for a nominal fee of a paper nickel, five bucks, man. You can support the show and unlock some extras. Make sure you check out BryantLandCountry.com, our website, BryantLandCountry.com. One-stop shopping for everything Bryantland, older podcasts, videos, merchandise, everything that you need. Bryantland is on BryantLandCountry.com. 
Com. We are a Bass Pro affiliate. Make sure you click our links in the show notes of the podcast. When you're looking to shop at Bass Pro Shop, it will help us out. Like I said, we are a Bass Pro Shop affiliate. Man, I appreciate y'all taking the time to come in and listen to the Bryant Land Show. Make sure you guys continue to stay safe. Have a great week and come back next week for another episode of the Bryant Land Show.